If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Romans in chapter 8. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. In the previous message in Romans chapter 8, we saw what it looks like to be led by the Holy Spirit. And uh, it said there in our text that we are obligated not to live according to the flesh, we are obedient as it is evidence, our obedience is evidenced by the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living within us, and we are the sons of God, and we know our objective is to reflect the image of God, and Paul reminds us to, uh, that to live this life, we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do so. And Paul also reminds us that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, for, according to Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And so that kind of really sets the stage for where we're going this week in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. So if you would, uh, I'm just going to read verses 18 through 25. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. And so as we look at this next text of Scripture, Paul begins to discuss how we as believers are to live in a world where there is persecution. Um, In all honesty, most of us cannot relate to the type of persecution that Paul is referring to here in this passage of Scripture. I think very few of us have ever experienced it, probably never will experience to the same extent that Paul experienced it. Uh, last year we did a series when we were looking at the life of Diedrich Bonhoeffer at some of the countries that do actually experience. When I think of persecution in our day and age, I think of mostly the countries of the Middle East, especially like areas of like Pakistan, where uh, I know that there are believers who have people who are armed with machine guns outside for an hour while Christians meet inside. And they know they're going to die if they get caught. They know it, but they're willing to risk it. And... Uh, Some people have said, well, why the machine guns then? Because I think they can worship a little bit longer with them than without them. I don't know. I just have to wonder. I don't know. But I know that they're going through it. And uh, they do oftentimes, they, uh, I don't want to use the word smuggle because it sounds crazy, but it's almost like they're smuggling people inside compounds to basically be a part of the worship service. And then they're hidden in Uh, in vehicles as they're taken out of the compound so that they're not seen going in and out. And sometimes they'll do it over a two or three day period because persecution is real for many of them in the Middle East. But we have not really experienced that. Um, What Paul is referring to, I think, for many of us is another whole level. In fact, if you would, just keep your fingers there in Romans chapter 8, but turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians in chapter 11. And you see, beginning with verse 23, it says this. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. Now think about this. Paul says it's almost insanity what we go through. 
I mean, he just says it like that. He goes, it's almost insanity. Why? He says, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, in bearings without number, in frequent danger of death, five times I received the Jews 40 lashes less one. In in other words, what he means is five times he got 39 lashes because of his faith. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day have I spent in the deep. In other words, he was out out at sea and probably couldn't get to shore, is my guess. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the desolate places, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brothers. In all these areas, Paul said, in my efforts to get the gospel out, in my endeavors to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he said, in all these efforts to go out there and live the life that God has called me to live, he said, I have experienced danger and persecution. In verse 20 he says, he goes, I have been in labor and hardship, in many sleepless nights, in starvation and thirst, often hungry and cold and without enough clothing. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me being, my being weak? Who is made to stumble without my burning concern? Over and over, Paul reiterates the fact that he had been through so much. If anybody could say that they'd been through persecution, I think we'd have to agree it was the Apostle Paul. But I don't know that any of us have gone through the trial, the adversity, or the persecution that the Apostle Paul went through to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet Paul says, all those who live in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. And I wonder if because we don't suffer persecution, it's maybe because we're really not taking much of a stand in our day and age. I'm just posing the question. Because I don't know anybody here in America, for the most part, who on a daily basis goes through what the Apostle Paul went through to get the gospel out. You know, if we, if we invite someone to church and they get upset about us asking them, we, we call that persecution. That's not persecution. I'm sorry, that's not. Well, someone doesn't like the fact that I take a different view of them on abortion because I'm a Christian and they're not. That's not persecution. Most of us don't know what it means to go through a shipwreck and to be uh, whipped 39 lashes or to be beaten with rods or to, you know, to go be so engrossed in doing what God has asked us to do that we experience the trial and adversity of life. Most of us don't understand that, myself included. Um, however, those who do experience persecution and suffering have something greater to look forward to in the next life. And it's the glory of God's kingdom. Isn't that awesome? If we do by some chance face some type of persecution, whatever it is that we may face is nothing compared to what we'll experience in the next life. This is what I think one, one of Pauline epistles says is light affliction. If for this light affliction, and the reality is we won't experience what most people experience as far as persecution. But because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to participate in God's glory. In Christ as God's children and fully adopted heirs, we'll experience His glory forever. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about this. Romans 2, chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. And when we think about that, he goes, what we will experience in the next life is eternal compared to what we may face in this life. Because anything that we go through in this life is temporary at best, right? 
You've heard it said many times, you know, on the timeline of eternity, your, your life is just a little speck on that time frame. And uh, what we will have to go through in this life does not compare to what we will have to look forward to. So in verse 18 in our text in Romans chapter 8, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. One day it will be revealed what he will experience, and it will be nothing like he had to go through in this life. Oftentimes I'm reminded of what, I, what the Bible tells us in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. When I think about what heaven is going to look like, and I can't really fathom all that, I don't know that any of us can. There's all kinds of books written on the subject. There's all kinds of people who have written articles of what heaven is really going to be like. I don't know that we can really truly fathom completely what that's going to entail. But I do know this. There will be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no tears. In fact, God's Word says nothing can enter in that will defile. So when you think about what heaven looks like from God's perspective and what He says that we have to look forward to, that's awesome. And anything that we experience in this life as far as circumstances that are you know, less than what we would choose, circumstances that we would never pick, experience, uh, circumstances that, that, that relate to the experiences that God wants us to learn from, they're just temporary. They're all but temporary. So Romans 8.18 does not minimize the pain and suffering we may experience as a result of persecution. But it does give us an eternal perspective of what we go through and what awaits us when it's over. Isn't that awesome? What's at the other end of the persecution? But I still want us to think about this just for a moment. What are we willing to do for the glory of God, for the cause of Christ, that other people may not like, that may cause upon us persecution? You say, well, Pastor Ken, you know, if I chose to do something that would intentionally bring persecution to me, I'd be stupid, right? I'd be crazy. You're a lunatic. Absolutely. But it says, yea, though all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. So I just want to pose the question. If we're not going through any type of persecution, even on a light level, are we really standing up for what we do believe with those around us? Because we have a world around us who does not agree with us. And oftentimes, if we are vocal about what we believe, and I don't mean we have to be belligerent. I don't, know, I don't believe that we have to be arrogant. I don't believe that we need to be boastful. But if we're talking about the, what Jesus Christ... And, and let me say, once again, the easiest way to point others to Jesus Christ is to simply tell others what Jesus has done for you. Some will understand, others won't. Some will get mad. But the reality is most of us, I don't think, are doing a whole lot to get the word out. Let's be honest. Um, Maybe that's something we had to think about as we go forward in our walk with God and how we need to present Him more. In verse 19 says, For the anxious longing of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. I'm not going to lie to you. As I was looking at that verse, I'm thinking, what's he really saying here? It's a tongue twister. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. I I ain't going to lie. I looked at commentary after commentary after commentary to come to the conclusion that most theologians don't understand truly what that phrase means. But I have an idea in my own heart what I think God is teaching me through this. Um... There's a slight continuation of what we see in verse 18. However, to fully appreciate this verse, you have to really look at the whole context, and it's full context. So from that perspective, you assume or presuppose that this anxious longing, this earnest expectation, uh, will be satisfied one day in glory. 
So right now there is a there is an anxiousness that we look forward to. If you know Jesus Christ, you remember the old hymn that we used to sing a long time ago, Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Day Before? If you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time in your life, you realize that the more you fall in love with God and His Son Jesus Christ, the more you long to see Him one day. I can be honest with you, when I was a teenager, I didn't think about, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven one day. You know, as a teenager, you're just worried about that day. Sometimes not even that day, you're worried about that hour and what we're going to do for fun and what, what, what's next that we're going to you know, be involved with. But the older we get and the more we walk with Jesus, the more we look forward to and long for the day that we'll spend eternity in heaven. Anybody agree? The more we look forward to that. The more we want to go before and, and see our loved ones, those who have gone on before us. And we long for that. The creation longs for that. And I think even the uh, perspective of wanting to go to heaven one day to talk to the, the people that we read about in God's Word and say, Saul, what would it have been like when you, uh, you know, when you were shipwrecked and stoned and, and, and beaten and left for dead, what was going through your mind? Did you ever regret it? I, I, don't, I know that he did, but I want to hear the first-hand account. I want to hear the stories. Can you imagine talking to Jonah? What was it like being in the belly of the well? Can you imagine being no, uh, Moses standing and, and watching this fire in this bush, but yet the bush not be burned? Can you imagine asking all the questions all these people have gone on before? That's what he's saying here. For the anxious longing of creation eagerly awaits for the revealing as the sons of God. One day we're going to be in heaven with them and we're going to experience everything that we've heard about, everything that we've read about in God's Word, everything that we know awaits us. It's going to happen one day. And we look forward to that. There is an anxious longing. Why? Because the persecution, the hardship, the difficulty that we often will face in this life is real. But we also know it's temporary. And we look forward to what will be one day. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to walk in the faith, and saying, Through many afflictions, we must enter the kingdom of God. Hear that? He said, Through many afflictions, you will enter the kingdom of God. So what do those afflictions look like? I think they look differently for many of us. I think it looked different for Paul than it did for John. I think it looked different for Peter than it did for you know, many of us that are living today. Every one of us it faces a different type of affliction, a different type of persecution. Though it may not be what Paul went through, we know it's real, but we also know it's temporary. But he says, with many afflictions, you'll enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because all who live in godly life or desire to live a godly life in Christ will suffer with it. Um, according to 2 Timothy 3.12. But in 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says this, "...having a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing good rather than for doing wrong." Right? So he says there are going to be people, when you say things, they're going to twist it. They're going to you know, contort it. They're going to make it sound that it's not what you said. They're going to purposefully misword what you say it happens right the world around us doesn't have an affinity for the love of love or or for the things that god wants us to love right the reality is it's going to be a a part of life where people don't understand us as believers but in chapter 4 verses 12 through 14 says beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you what's he tell us he says don't be shocked at it 
In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't be shocked that you're going to go through it because he said you're going to go through it. It's not like, and, and don't be, don't, don't, don't act as if you're the only one going through it because you're not the only one going through it. Everyone will go through this. He says, but to the degree you are sharing in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. So he says, even through the trial, even through the hardship, even through the persecution, through the disagreement, through the afflictions that you go through, he says, keep on rejoicing. Why? Because it's all temporary. It's not going to go on forever. And then he says in verse 17, uh, he says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And there are so many other numerous other verses about the world hating you if you live a godly life for Jesus Christ. It may not be the same persecution that Paul went through. But definitely, if you live for the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to put Him first and are vocal about your faith, the world will not appreciate you. And if you've experienced that, you understand this. Um, I remember several years ago, um, we went around... um, all of Henrietta, and we just knocked on doors. We weren't trying to do evangelism on the doorstep. We weren't trying to get people saved at the doorstep. We were just simply, hey, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to invite you to Harvest Bible. Just come worship with us. I mean to tell you, people were belligerent. They got angry and upset and ticked off. In fact, I remember in a two-hour time frame, 25 different times, we were yelled at, cussed at, chewed out, and it was just said saying hey we'd love to invite you to church that's it the world that we live in does not appreciate the god that we love and the god that loves us and loves them Um, the world that we live in hates it in fact i remember when i first moved here almost 11 years ago well 11 years ago last week 11 years ago i remember thinking it was the first or second week that i was here or month maybe and i remember Hearing on TV, our governor saying, if you're a conservative Christian, get out of our state. We don't want you. And I'm thinking, sign me up. I just moved to New York. Wonderful. Um, <laughs> I have all my friends who don't live in New York saying, boy, isn't it great to get Cuomo out of there? And I said, if you think for a minute that it's going to get more conservative and easier with the next one, you're terribly you know, mis- misjudging this. And we have somebody who's just the same as Cuomo. Why? Because it's the world we live in. It's not about the politics. It's about people who need Jesus, right? We live in a world full of lost people. We live in a world full of people who who despise doing what's right. And so they need Jesus. Many scholars agree that the creation referred to in Romans 8.19 is the same creation referred to in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Why? Because once you put your faith in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with Him, things change. Things drastically change. Not only are you changing to being a new creation, but your perspective of life all around us also changes. And so there is a great change that takes place. Everything changes. The world that you once got along with, that you once agreed with, that you once lived for, now sees you differently. And if you're walking with Jesus, you see it differently. Why? Because you are now different at least if you choose to live for Jesus Christ. The child of God now awaits for what will be revealed one day as sons of God in their glorified estate. Look at verses 20 and 21. 
says, for the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility. We need to understand something. Sin has affected more than just our relationship with God. Do you get that? Sin affects more than just our relationship with God. Sin has affected all of humanity for all of time. Sin has affected all of humanity for all of time. Uh, let me keep your finger there in Romans 8. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3 just for a moment. You say, is that really true? Has it affected that much? Yes. Look at verse 17 through 19. This is a result of sin in the life of mankind. And verse 17 says, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. Isn't that a blessing? It's going to do this for you. Boy, what a gift. It says, And you will eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and for you, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There will be turmoil. There will be pain. There will be toil. There will be labor in this world because of sin. Sin has affected all of mankind for all time. But it says there in our text in Romans chapter 8, in hope that that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to corruption into freedom of the glory. The child of God will go from death and decay to new life in glory. So once again, let's assume that even if you live to be the ripe old age of 100, if that's how long you live, it's done. Then you have all of eternity to live in glory. All of eternity to experience what heaven has to offer us. It's all going to end. One day, it will all end. And Romans chapter 8, verse 23 goes on and says, And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. There is an eagerness for this reality. What's the eagerness? What's the reality? Because of the adoption, the regeneration that's going to take place. Because even though we have our families down here, and we talked about that last week, we, we enjoy being around our families, and our families mean so much to us. But one day we're going to experience being in the family of God for all of eternity in heaven. There is something more that awaits us. And there's nothing here on this earth that is worth clinging to. Nothing here to put off heaven for. Nothing. Especially those of us who have lost loved ones. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, there, there is a sting of death that we don't experience as God's children because we know that it's temporary. We have something more to look forward to. And that's our forever family. Not just the temporary family here on this earth, but the forever family one day in heaven that we look forward to. And then the last two verses in our text this morning are verses 24 and 25. It says this. It says, For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. For in hope we were saved, but not for what we can physically see. If we can see it, it's not really hope. Let me explain it this way. 
if I were not a millionaire and I said I could hope for a million dollars, that'd be a real hope, wouldn't it? I mean, not realistically, but chances are never going to happen. But if it was just somewhere out there, and maybe there's a possibility, maybe there's not, but it's just out there, that would be hope. I hope that maybe I would win the lottery. Never played it, but you know, and don't have any intention of playing it, but I hope that I win the lottery. That would be something to hope for. Or I would hope that I can get a, a nicer house, or hope that I have a nicer car, or hope that I have a better job, or hope that I would have a, you know, grandchild, or a hope that I, you know, something that might be a possibility, but we're not really sure. It's something you hope for. But the moment that I have a million dollars in my checking account, I don't have to hope for it anymore. Why? Because it's there. The moment I get that really super nice truck that drives itself down the road and it's sitting in my driveway, I don't have to hope for that anymore because it's right there. That moment that I hope for that nice mansion in the wo- you know on the hilltop or that big old cabin in the woods, the moment that I have it, there's no more reason to hope for it because it's mine. You see what he's saying here? In verse 24, it says, for, we, for in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he already sees? There is something that we cannot see yet that we hope for. But this hope is certain. What does 1 John 5.13 tell us? These things have I written unto you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Not wish, not think, not guess, but know. This is the hope that is certain. It says, but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. So, when you think of the concept of waiting, and then the concept of persevering, are they one and the same? Something I'm not going to answer because I don't know. No. See, persevering has the idea of going forward. Waiting has the idea of what? I'm in a holding pattern. Put those two thoughts together here. Verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we with perseverance, we eagerly wait. So I'm in a holding pattern that I'm persevering. How does that work? You see, it works because we know what awaits us. And what awaits us is salvation being complete in heaven one day. So even though we're not going to go out and commit suicide to get there, we know that when we die, we're going to be there. And that's concrete. That's given. So, what we hope for, we cannot yet see, but we eagerly await for it. I don't know fully what heaven will be like. I read descriptions of it, and I'm excited about it. But I won't fully understand it until I visualize it standing in front of it in, the, in that place one day. I hope for that. Hopefully you do too. So let's just kind of give you three points to ponder that are practical points to consider here. Number one, we need more boldness and courage to share the gospel. If we had more boldness and courage, we'd probably see more persecution. And I think maybe we'll have to see more of that in the days ahead here. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to sign up for any more persecution. Anybody else? I don't want it. I'm not going to go looking for it. But I think it's going to find us in the days ahead. I really do. I feel like as, as time goes on, our freedoms are going to be challenged. And with those freedoms being challenged, we're going to have to 
basically step across the line and say, I'm willing to fight for what I know God is, what God has for me. The reality is we may have to fight for our freedom to worship God. Are you willing to do it? But not only just to worship, but to tell others about Him. And I think we need more boldness and courage to do that. And secondly, whatever persecution we may face, it's nothing in light of eternity and the glory that awaits us. So whatever persecution we may experience, whatever light affliction we may go through, whatever trials that we may be tested with, they're temporary. And that's exciting because we know it's going to end. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Whether it's 50 years or 75 years or 20 years or 101 years, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's called heaven for those of us that know Jesus. And we look forward to that light at the end of the tunnel. And number three, we do have hope. And the hope that we have is secure in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but those things are encouraging to me. Because in this life, there will be trouble. There will be affliction. Some will face it more than others. Uh, we may not experience to the point that Paul did. But if we, the more we cling to what God is doing, and the more we make His name known, the more we're going to see it in our own lives. And we need that boldness and courage to do so. But there's hope. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. That it's going to end. There's something more to look forward to. I don't know about you, but I need these reminders. It's so easy to be distracted by the here and the now. It's so easy to have our desires, our own luxuries, our own freedoms challenged. We don't like that. But truly, we're not here to build a kingdom on this in this earth. This is temporary. Our citizenship according to God's Word, is in heaven one day. And that's where we need to to anchor our hope. Lord, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. I ask God, Lord, that you'd help us to have an eternal focus and not an earthly one, a a heavenly focus, not a temporal one. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have boldness and courage, Lord, to stand for truth, the righteousness, Lord, to share the gospel. And Lord, knowing that whatever we do face, it's just temporary. So, Lord, I pray for that boldness, that courage to do what's right, to live for you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as we do each and every week, we have an opportunity to respond to what God's Word has shared with us. I don't know about you, but I, I need these reminders that God is in control, that we do have hope. I don't know about you, but maybe you've never experienced any type of persecution or hardship or trial or affliction because of your faith. Maybe it's time to ask ourselves a question if we're standing up for what we know is right. Maybe it's time that we ask God for courage and boldness to tell others in these last days how they can know that heaven is their home. Maybe it's time to stand up for what we know we should be standing up for. You say, Pastor Ken, uh, God's challenged my heart this morning. Uh, he's reali- I'm realizing that there is hope, and, but I also need courage and boldness. Pray for me. Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Can I just challenge all of us in the stillness of this moment? Just take a moment and pray. Say, God, give me boldness. God, give me courage. God, give me a realistic understanding that this life is temporary. So easy to get focused and caught up in doing everything in this life to make this life better when it's the life to come that we should be investing in. Just take a moment and pray and ask for God's help through that. Lord, I pray that you be with each one who raised their hand their heart towards you this morning. Lord, I need these reminders, Lord, that we do have hope and our hope is not here. It's in heaven. So Lord, I pray for that hope. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Draw us closer to you. For each one who raised their hand and their heart towards you this morning, Lord, Father, we ask that you would just 
Uh, Lord, be near to us. May your presence be felt and seen, Lord. May we know that you're going to give us all that we need, Lord. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Acts 1, Lord, you said you've given us all power. So, Lord, we pray for that boldness, that power to stand up for what we know is right. And if persecution should come, Lord, let us know that you're there with us. And that there's nothing in this life, Lord, that can compare to what's going to come, Lord, when we're through. So work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.